Hey, everybody. Welcome in. Another edition of The Wrap. Tom Asway alongside Brendan Sennett. The Spider is in for Clarence today. CB's got some stuff going on. Welcome in to the Warren RV Storage Studios here in Farmington Hills. We are there. And uh, if you need a great place to store your RV, 6900 East 14 Mile Road. That's in Warren, 48092. The phone number is, uh, I can give that to you, 586-977-2770. It's uh, the largest site available to accommodate vehicles from 20 feet to 75 feet. Pull-through sites are available, 30-inch wide aisle. I mean, you could bring the big boys into this place. And not only that, if you do have a friend that has an RV and you kind of turn them on to Warren RV Storage, they'll throw you some cash, cold, hard referral cash. Nothing better than referral cash. Nothing better than cold, hard referral cash. They're Welcome just, in. They're just way, uh, west of our good friends at Andiamo's right there That's at 14 right. Van Dyke, right? That's right. And, uh, yes, that is correct. And right by our good friends, Jim Reels. There it is. Friendly uh, Chrysler Jeep. So uh, all the good stuff. Sponsor central right out there. Out in Warren. That's right. That's our hot spot. <laughs> Tom Mazaway, Clarence uh, Black sitting out today. So the Spiders in. Brendan Senate. Lots to talk about. They canceled the Steelers and the Titans. They make it official. Uh, they were going to try to sleep it in on Monday or Tuesday, which it would have been great. Like a 5 or 6 o'clock start. On a Tuesday would have been unbelievable. On a Tuesday would have been really fun. But... Two more COVID cases for the Titans. They are shutting it down. NFL says they will play this game later in the season. So during a bye week, Eric Ebron from the Steelers already writing in on text on uh, Twitter saying, that was my kid's birthday party that was already scheduled. I mean, these guys have a life. Sure. These guys schedule their stuff, but things happen. And, and you're playing into COVID times, things happen. Things were really good for one sport, the NHL. They got it right. They got the bubble. The Eastern teams played in the Toronto. The Western teams played in Edmonton. And then, of course, the Stanley Cup final was played in Edmonton. And joining us now, the uh, the main man, Mr. Hockey himself from Michigan, Mike Doc Emmerich joins us on the hotline. Uh, Doc, thanks so much for coming on. You're on with uh, Tom and Brendan. Well, good. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're doing wonderful, and uh, thanks for taking some time. I know you just got done with a, a great final, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars. I got to say, the best team probably won <laughs> this yeah. uh, this thing, and it was it was fun. I agree with you that the best team did win. I think Dallas spent so much energy to get there that by the time the sixth game had come, they were just out of gas, but... What a noble effort they put forth, and what a legendary uh, goaltending performance by Anton Hudobin, who had played for 14 teams in 14 years. Wow. And uh, worked all that time to become an overnight success. Amazing. So God bless him for doing it. Amen to that. And uh, terrific teams. And this is the second time the Lightning have won. They won back in 04. So this is an expansion team from the 90s. That was Phil Esposito's baby. I remember it coming in and. Uh, they hit it big. Bill Davidson, the former, you know, of course, the, the great owner of the Pistons, winds up buying the Lightning and uh, taking his staff down there and calling it the Ice Palace and whatever. They've really come a long way. They sure did. That first year, uh, they played at a fairground building, and Phil invited the NHL people to come down, and he drew a chalk line on the cement floor 
and he he uh, drew the chalk line at 200 by 85 feet, so he could show them that it was going to be a regulation uh, <laughs> length. But it wasn't. The ice plant was much smaller, very much like Boston Garden where Phil had played. And so they saw it at 200 by 85, but in reality, when the season started that year, it was a lot smaller than that, the ice surface. And I remember there was a pond located when we would pull up on the bus. I was with Philadelphia then. And when we would pull up on the bus, there was a pond there. We'd go for the morning skate, and Tampa Bay had already skated. And they had a, a defenseman named Roman Hammerlick. Sure. And once the morning skate was over, he would be out at the pond fishing. <laughs> and you would see him casting into the pond, and that was his normal game day routine. He'd practice, and then he'd fish. That is uh, awesome. I've never seen that before. And then they wind up moving to the Tropicana Field, you know, where the Tampa Bay Rays play. And then, of course, they get their new building uh, in Tampa. So congrats to them. Victor Hedman, th- that is some offensive juggernaut over there, let me tell you. Yeah, and they're young enough. Uh, they are going to have some challenges with the salary cap, Tom, but they're young enough they should be really capable for quite some time. They're going to have salary cap concerns, and, and they are going to be able to keep everybody, but still the core group is going to be there, and they're going to be solid. Mike Doc Emmerich joins us, NBC and NBC Sports Network's uh, voice of the NHL. Brendan, I know this has been a, something that you wanted. You said, can you book Doc Emmerich first? I said, I'll try. And th- th- well, he, isn't that nice? He Brendan couldn't sleep nice last night, Doc. He says he couldn't sleep last night. We're ready to talk to you. Doc is someone who well, who's geez. wanted to work in the broadcast industry my entire adult life. Interviewing one of your well, heroes. Kind of you. I've never been. I, I, the only time I was more nervous was when I when I interviewed Mariano Rivera. Uh, and and I am terrified right now to talk to you because it's such an honor. Uh, so thanks for coming on with us. Um, I was a reliever in Little League Baseball in LaFountain, Indiana, but I did not begin to have the stuff that that guy. No, oh, the goat of Nobody the goat did. of goats. Yes, most definitely. But um, <laughs> what, back to back to the to the ice doc. Um, you know, I'm a Boston guy, born and bred. Um, Won't hold that against you. Exactly. Nobody's perfect. Um, what do you think happened to my Bruins? Did it? Did the did the the layoff affect them the most? I mean, I, you said it. The Lightning were better than them, but you know they were the President's Trophy winners, and they just didn't seem to have it once they got into the bubble. What are, What are your thoughts on my bees? Yeah, they, the, I think the, the one thing that happened was that they didn't have an answer for Tampa Bay's power play. They had a great one of their own, but they couldn't score five on five. And that was part of it. I think as time went on, that Halak was brilliant, but he got worn down. And, and you don't want to place the blame on someone for, uh, for something that was untoward and, and may have involved a family emergency. But had they had both of their goaltenders, I think that would have made a huge difference, too, because the games were coming fast and furious, and sometimes they were back-to-back. You can point to that as well. But uh, I think this was just Tampa Bay's year, and they were going to beat anybody. I agree. They proved that by, by going through a record amount of overtime time and knocking out Columbus in five overtimes in the very first game. Amazing. And there are people that have played. Uh, there was an ex-Bruin named Peter McNabb, who is now a color commentator in Colorado. And he told me that the Bruins had, I believe, a triple overtime game uh, late in one season when he was playing. 
And he said the exhaustion from that was such that there were guys that still were feeling it when training camp began the next fall. Wow. Unbelievable. I have no grasp as to what kind of effect that those multiple overtime games have. I know I'm entertained by them, and I know I don't want to see it change to where we go to a shootout in the Stanley Cup. No playoffs. way. Never. But in a long-winded answer to your question, I think that the, the failure of them to score a lot five-on-five and the, the, the comparative depletion of their roster compared to what Tampa Bay had was the primary reason. And, and taking the fan out of it, you're, you're 100% right, and I know you said this countless times on the broadcast, the, the credit goes to the Lightning organization, right, because their, their mix of, of veteran talent and younger guys and the fact that all their guys are, I'm probably stealing one of your takes, their guys are so not only big, but they can all skate. You know, they're just they're they're just the the perfectly constructed team. They're lightning. Yeah, they they were uh, they were changed a lot, and I know one of the one of the many things you know you always remember this, uh, and you will as you uh, spend more time in broadcasting. And Tom, of course, knows this too. After you finish a broadcast, there are five things that you wish you would have gotten on <laughs> that you didn't, and one of them was a comment that we did use earlier in the playoffs from John Cooper that said there were. Several times in prior years when all of a sudden the bench would go quiet because of what was happening on the ice and because of the changes that we made in personnel, that never happened this year. Because of the character of our guys, because of the size of the guys, and because of what they brought, our bench never went quiet because of circumstances that came up in games. And so, again, I believe that that's probably part of the reason that they never faded and invariably if Dallas or Boston would get an important goal it was amazing that Tampa would come right back with another one and in short order uh, because that was just how they were. Doc Emmerich joins us the voice of hockey on NBC and uh, anywhere that you watch hockey this is the guy you want to listen to Uh, I've been lucky enough that I grew up in New Jersey and one of these days, I had Gary Thorne as our first play-by-play uh, announcer. Oh, my goodness. What and a great guy. How about that, huh? And then here comes Doc Emmerich right after Gary Thorne. And 20-some-odd years later, uh, with the three cups later with the Devils. And uh, it's been a great time uh, listening to you over the years. When I moved here in 1993, uh, and I started you know, my radio career a couple of years after that, of course, here comes 95 Stanley Cup. It's the Devils. And now my hometown, Detroit Red Wings. And you were on the call for that one, I remember. And I remember you were the Devils play-by-play, but you had the national broadcast on Fox as well. That had to be something. Yeah, they had just changed the rules, as a matter of yep. fact. John Davidson and Sam Rosen and, and all of those guys the previous year were the last ones to be able to go all the way to the final. So the rule had changed to where national network broadcasters were going to be working the final, and... So Gary Thorne and Bill Clement did some of the games in that uh, final that year in in 95, and John Davidson and I on Fox did some of the others. But it was going to change uh, from that point on. And there is this constant thing that is said about learning from defeat. And even a player the next year in 96 that I interviewed during one of our Devils Red Wings games uh, named Steve Iserman (laughs) uh, was hinting toward that. And then, of course, 96 was a wonderful regular season for the Red Wings, even though they got shocked by Colorado 
in the conference final that year, but it was the precursor to some marvelous Detroit you teams bet. that won in 97 in a sweep and won in 98 in a sweep and won again in 02. And we're, we're just, we're building a dynasty there. Uh, but uh, the same thing was said of Tampa Bay getting knocked out and having all of those conference final leads that, that evaporated to Pittsburgh and to Washington in prior years that you learn from that and you realize what it takes to get there. And maybe the addition of tougher, bigger players this year was what that roster needed to get over the hump because they sure did this time. They do, and we're lucky enough we get to work with uh, Darren McCarty, who was uh, integral on that team, the grind line. And in 96, he was saying when the Avalanche did win, it was, of course, uh, Lemieux against uh, poor Chris Draper, the blindside hit, and the Red Wings never forgot that. And obviously took it upon themselves to uh, take care of business the next couple of years. I worked in Philadelphia in 1980 with a, uh, on, on the broadcast with a guy named Bobby Taylor who is still working in Tampa on lightning broadcast and a, a surly old defenseman named Ed Van Am. <laughs> and uh, oftentimes during the course of a broadcast when there would be something untoward happen, such as happened to Chris Draper, he would say, you know, you have a whole career to pay a guy back. <laughs> and and the uh, Red Wings waited uh, for their time and the time of course is one of the uh, is one of the great memories that Red Wings fans of a certain age and a certain <laughs> generation still have from that time. No question. Well, well doc, what what troubles me about that 95-96 season sitting here next to Tommy is back then I was a college intern for him and drove him crazy. And him and I are both old now, and you haven't aged a bit. So what's your what's your secret? Uh, you're very kind to say that, but uh, it's uh, it, it's of course as I look in the mirror each day, it is not true. But it's very nice of you to say. Oh man, uh, hey, I wanted to ask you about what the NHL did with this bubble. I mean, people are all over Gary Bettman. Let's face it; most commissioners get booed, albeit they do like Adam Silver a lot in the NBA. But Gary Bettman and his crew seemed to really get it right. What did you think of the whole bubble NHL Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, it, it went magnificently. And, of course, one of the reasons that there, were so much, that there was so much skepticism was that the league waited so late to name the date yep. they had, uh, and name the cities. They had 10 to pick from. And they waited until the very end. And as he explained um, in his state of the league address to the media, as well as most recently after he got back to New York following the Stanley Cup final just earlier this week, um, we wanted to make a decision that was the safest for everybody. And so we reexamined all of the places that were the safest places to go. And you may remember that Vegas was one of them. Yeah. And Vegas had an incredible spike just before the decision was made. And the two safest places were Toronto and Edmonton, and so that's where they went. And he had said, and I have all of this documented, because during the course of the summer I was making notes, analog notes, because I'm old, yes. analog <laughs> notes every day on all of these various announcements and various statements that were made. He said, we're probably going to need 35,000 COVID tests, and we will not get in the way of the American public that needs those. But there are COVID tests in Canada, 
and we will not be intercepting what would normally go to the general public there. As it turned out, the final number was in the area of 33 to 34,000 wow. that they needed. So they had it figured out. And, of course, it was 100% perfect. Wow. There wasn't one positive COVID test taken by anybody that was on the staff of any one of the 24 teams. And that includes the final week of going back and forth to the homes of the players in their 24 cities before they even got on planes and got to the bubbles. That last week was perfect as well. So it's just it's a tribute to the uh, to how hard it had to be to organize all of this, but it's also a tribute to not only the uh, the athletes who pulled it off, but also to uh, the the people in charge of the athletes and the people in charge of the various franchises and to Gary Bettman to conceive the idea, to plan it out, and then eventually to accomplish it. Doc Emmerich joins us, the voice of the NHL. Uh... Tell us your secret hideout. Where did you do the games from here in Detroit? Oh, it was uh, actually uh, in my home, which is located in St. Clair County. <laughs> there and, it is, the Dock um, Cave. Yeah, it it was it was a um, it was a generous um, gesture on the part of NBC. Uh, they had told me back in March that. Um, you will not have to do anything that does that is makes you uncomfortable. And of course, given my cancer past and the fact that yes. my birth certificate does uh, does make me a baby boomer, uh, <laughs> there were some. Uh, I had some boxes that were already checked before it even came to the time to make the decision. <laughs> and then I got to talking to Eddie Olchek about some of the um, some of the remote. Uh, locations that he was doing from his home on horse racing. And I asked him about the delay between the picture and the audio. And he said, you know, it really wasn't any. Wow. So we continued to discuss this during the pause. And so they uh, they had someone drive out from Stanford and bring all the equipment. And we started to run some tests. And it was it was incredible that there was not anything more than two twenty-fourths of a second delay. Wow! Unreal. And they were able to even fine-tune it even more. And this was this was the equipment being routed through Stanford, Stanford, Connecticut, when the scene shifted exclusively to Edmonton for the final two rounds. Uh, they further enhanced the equipment both at my end and at the truck in Edmonton. And so it was practically like being at the arena in terms of the call and also technologically the delay. So I was very fortunate, and it is not a tribute to me. It's a tribute to the the folks at NBC who allowed me to continue to do this because there were very capable people who could have carried on. And they they let me do another Stanley Cup final, and for that I'm grateful. No, I was convinced you were in Edmonton. Yeah, I didn't hear end. any. I didn't hear any dog barks. I didn't hear any horses. I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they 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 could have been heard, but uh, <laughs> but Joyce was doing a very good job of keeping things quiet. Well, before we let you go, Doc, you know, so, you know, again, I'm, I'm a Doc fan. It's a Doc house in our house. Love when you call the Bruins games with the national games. So my kids, Aubrey and Declan, 10 and 8, they love you. And, and Tommy took, behind the, took me behind the curtain a little bit that you are an animal lover, and my kids obviously are. 
So so tell us about the about the animals on your roster right now and their names, dogs, whatnot. <laughs> who, who, you, 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 that that was well, my kid's question for the doc. There you go. Oh, isn't that nice? No, we we've um, we've got a soft spot for animals, and we have we have six horses. Uh, my my wife really loves horses, and we've we've adopted a couple of them, and and some of them we actually sought out, and. Um, we're, I, I don't, the, the horse I ride is the one that's parked outside the, uh, uh, of Walmart that you feed quarters into, but <laughs> yeah. uh, the one, the one that she, uh, that she rides is, uh, is one of the six. One of them is a miniature horse and she discovered that one, uh, in a newspaper article. It was the last animal left from, uh, the, the closing of a humane society and, it would probably have been taken care of well, but horses don't do well by themselves. And oftentimes people that have only a horse will get a goat or something oh, to keep it company yeah. because horses by themselves don't do well. So anyway, uh, this little horse's name is Prancer. Uh, and so uh, they are all stabled uh, a few miles away at one of uh, Joyce's uh, and my relatives of place. And then the two dogs are with us and they are, uh, both Yorkshire Terriers uh, that are about, oh, 10 or 11 pounds, and their names are Liberty, Anne, and Joy Bells. Uh, Joy Bells was Joyce's nickname when she was younger, and Liberty Anne <laughs> is named after one of the uh, wonderful veterinarians that had uh, an emergency case of ours uh, around the 2002 Olympics. So that's awesome. Th- that is the, that's the story, and I'm so pleased that <laughs> you're... Uh, family cares about the creatures as well. Oh yeah, believe me, uh, they'd rather have me leave the house than little Jeter. I could tell you that <laughs> right now. That's a fact. Yeah, we rate low on the pecking order in both our houses. <laughs> believe me. Hey, hey Doc, we lied to you. There's one more question. What can the NHL do about the draft lottery? Here it is: our Red Wings, 39 points. The Rangers, 79 points. Rangers are picking first. Red Wings are picking fourth. Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of justice in it, does it? But um, what you have to do is to uh, look back to Monday night and see who skated the cup around and look down to Little Caesars Arena and who has an office in that arena. Yes. And who had a lot to do with the team that skated the cup around on Monday and who winds up making the selection of four. And even though it may not be the famous guy, we, uh, uh, you, you aren't going to do too bad when you have somebody of that brain power and of that resourcefulness choosing fourth for you. Um, a long time ago, and this is probably before you, Tom, some of us who played sandlot ball would throw a bat in the air and we would grab it, and we would work our way with our hands, yep. one team and the other, up to the top of it. And then uh, whoever got their hands to the top would get to choose whether they would take bats first or whether they would go in the field first. And those were the rules that we understood when we threw the bat and grabbed it yep. and worked our hands up to the top. Well, these were the rules that everybody agreed to sure. when they agreed to this weird sort of lottery. So Here we that's are. what Detroit is stuck with. But they're also uh, they also have a very bright guy and a staff that uh, will make a choice of fourth 
So I don't think that's too bad. Hey, we can't thank you enough for coming on, and uh, we want you to enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, baseball, I know, is your favorite, too, and we're in the thick of it now. So hopefully everyone stays healthy and uh, we move on, and let's let's get healthy again, everybody here in the U.S. It is not an ill comment about politics because I know it's important. But the other night I chose baseball. Me too. Attaboy. Rather than the debate. Me too. And I enjoyed baseball very much, even though as a Pirate fan yep. we had the losingest record <laughs> in baseball this summer. And as a Tiger fan in the American League, I know it didn't go as well as we would have liked. So I'm going to watch this with great interest as these other games continue to go. And I thank you so much for asking me on. Tom, you and I go way back. We do. And it's great to talk to somebody who is a native of Boston, one of my three favorite cities to visit. The Beautiful. other two, by the way, are Chicago and Pittsburgh. Thank you so much, Doc. It was it was hey, an man. honor. Uh, there's a there's a, a dinner with your name on it anytime you want it when this when this pandemic ends. Tommy will come along. He never turns down a free dinner when I'm picking the checkup. <laughs> so you 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 well, let him know. Else, the three of us can wear masks and go through the drive through and then sit at a picnic table. That sounds great. Sounds good. We'll meet you up at Port Huron. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> See you, Doc. Be good, Doc. You're Thanks. the man. Thank you. God bless. Man, well, you don't get better. You don't get better. The goat. The you goat of better. goats. So when people ask you what's the best guy you ever met in sports, I always mention Doc Emmerich. Unreal. And that's a fact. Thanks to everyone for listening. That was fun. Thanks to David and Kelsey behind the glass. Stevie Mack. Hey, we didn't really need much today. Just open the mic and let Doc talk. Right? I mean, um, you could listen to the guy for hours. Hey, we're going to do this again. Dan Dickerson. It's another good guy. Another good guy. Top three on the good guy list. Tom Mazaway, Brendan Sennett, back on The Wrap on NRM Streamcast. Thanks again to Warren RV. Storage on 14 Mile and uh, Warren uh, Road. 14 Mile and Warren. So thanks for everything, folks. We'll see you again on The Wrap.